Hello and welcome to Family Room Discussions, where you invite me, Dalton Anderson, to your Come Follow Me study, and we discuss ideas, questions, and insights to the week's lesson. Let me be clear, I am not a church historian or a scripture scholar. I am your average saint trying to build my faith in Christ and deepen my testimony of the gospel and the scriptures, and I have found that by discussing Come Follow Me with others, it helps me to do just that. My sincere hope is that for those struggling to study Come Follow Me for whatever reason, maybe because you're single and you don't have others to study with, or like me, your kids are still too young to understand English, or really for any other reason, that you will allow me to join your family for about 30 minutes to help with that gospel dialogue. With that, let's start this family room discussion. Brothers and sisters, family and friends, this is episode 38, following along with lesson 37, 3rd Nephi, chapters 8 through 11. I apologize for the late episode. Again, I will not make a habit of this, I promise. But uh, I'll explain what happened. On Saturday, I hiked Lone Peak with my cousin Riley. It was a great experience. Riley, thank you for getting me off that mountain alive and helping me accomplish a goal. Both my knees gave out coming down, and I was worried. But uh, Riley, thank you for, once again, helping me get off the mountain alive. And uh, it was great to be part of your goal of the six summits in 2020 and my little goal of hiking Lone Peak this year. But uh, so on Sunday, I woke up just completely dead. Speaking of getting me home alive, I woke up completely dead on Sunday. I could not move, had a pounding headache, and I uh, just felt like I was suffering of severe dehydration, which is, uh, you know, ironic because I was drinking a ton on Saturday. But regardless, and so it was bad timing because it was grandma's birthday on Sunday. Lex and I were supposed to be going down. Uh, Lex ended up going down with the kids, and I laid in bed dead on Sunday. At one point, I Anakin Skywalkered my way off of Mustafar into the kitchen to get myself something to eat. And that was it. Then I died. And then Monday, continued recovering. Um, it was my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, mom. And uh, But otherwise, let me just explain that it is a horrible time right now to have uh, stuffy sinuses. And uh, sometimes you cough because of that. Just a really bad time for that to happen at this period of the world. Okay? It's it's awkward and it's uncomfortable and, and uh, you make people uneasy. So I've just been staying inside and avoiding the outside world because of it. So that's where we're at. Hopefully that explains uh, why we're here and hopefully also explains why my voice sounds a little bit more nasally than normal. Uh, I got a comment on my last week's episode that I want to share here. It's from my dad, and, and this was great, so here we go. He says, I've enjoyed listening to your thoughts as I've gone through Come Follow Me. One thing that has consistently stood out to me this year has been the fact that every week there's been a message or parallel from the assigned study that is correlated to what is going on in the world around us this same week. Sometimes I have had the same thoughts as you have, uh, as you have shared, and sometimes they are complimentary. As we approach the end of the year, and as we approach one of my favorite scriptures, when Moroni says, I speak to you as if you are present. Uh, dot, dot, I'm going to read that because I can't remember the full scripture, and he puts in the dot, dots, but... I speak to you as if you are present, dot, dot, dot. I know your doings, dot, dot, dot. Show them, show them, shown them unto me, dot, dot, dot. Um, I remember that passage when we get to it in the scriptures. I will highlight that. But I am finding it more and more prophetic how the Book of Mormon applies to us. This week it dawned on me. Moroni had hundreds of years of recording, or excuse me, Moroni had hundreds of years of records of history. I'm sure the doings of the people could have filled many books. He actually talks about how they're, wouldn't be enough books books to capture the entire history. But what we are reading this year has been specifically selected by him and his father out of all that, that history because they knew, they saw, it wasn't by chance that we are reading the specifics we are reading this year. 
It is because prophets of God knew and saw us, our time, and pulled all the stories out of their 600-year history uh, that would possibly be helpful to us. I say possibly because I believe they searched diligently for every scrap of story or sentence that would have that would have any chance of having an impact on us, teaching us, strengthening us, and helping us. What an amazing thing. I find it truly humbling. My question is this. How can we more fully discuss and recognize these treasures that Mormon and Moroni sacrificed so much to give us? How do we use them to face our current and future times? I love that. I love that thought. And it's true. I know I've pointed this out as well, that it just feels like there are so many parallels to what we're studying and, and learning about. And come follow me with the very experiences we're going through right now in our lives in 2020 and moving forward. And uh, and I love that question, something that I pass on to all of you to, to think about, as I've been thinking about. But how do we more fully recognize these treasures um, that have been given to us, that Mormon and Moroni sacrificed so much, that all the prophets sacrificed so much, and then also, and I feel like more importantly, how do we use them to help us face our current circumstances? Uh, I'll let you ponder on that, and I'm going to continue pondering on that, because I think it's a it's a lifelong faith-filled uh, journey that we're on of, of being able to more fully appreciate the scriptures, what we have, and more fully implementing these teachings into our life to become uh, to become perfect and help us on the pathway to perfection. So, Dad, thank you for sharing that thought, and I appreciate you listening. Um, appreciate you figuring out how to, to, uh, to get on the podcast app and listen, because... <laughs> You know, I know that was that was a, a thing before. Anyway, let's get into the lesson. How about it? So the introduction reads, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, whom the prophets testified shall come into the world. With these words, the resurrected Savior introduced himself, fulfilling over 600 year, years of Book of Mormon prophecies. And I love that. That line sticks out to me the most in this. Is like, in a moment, in one moment, 600 years of Book of Mormon prophecy, but even further than that, obviously, since Adam. Prophecy fulfilled in just one moment. The That appearance and the, that declaration Elder Jeffrey R. Holland wrote constituted the focal point, the supreme moment in the entire history of the Book of Mormon. It was the manifestation of the decree that had informed and inspired every Nephite prophet. Everyone had talked of him, sung of him, dreamed of him, and prayed for his appearance. But here he actually was, the day of days, the God who turns every dark night into morning light had arrived. Um, man, Elder Holland is so, like, poetic. <laughs> um, but I think about this, especially that last line, right? But it's, it's so now in our day, as, as, as they looked to his coming then, we too look to his coming now in our day, to his second coming. And I just think how lucky we are to be the ones here at this time as we prepare for that, that we get to be the ones that are preparing the way for his second coming. I mean, we don't know. I don't know if I'll be alive. You don't know if you'll be alive. But we do know for sure that we are in the last days and that it is us who is helping prepare and pave the pathway forward for that event. And and that's just a special thing, I think. Um, I feel like it's an honor and a privilege to be here at this time to, to be preparing for such an event. In the first section, Ideas for Personal Scripture Study, the first chunk, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Uh, you might notice that the themes related to darkness and light, both physical and spiritual, are repeated throughout 3 Nephi chapters 8 through 11. 
What do you learn from these chapters about spiritual darkness and light? What brings darkness into your life? And I'm going to stop there because to me, I feel like this is pretty, uh, an easy observation for me. Things that bring darkness into my life is sin, doubt, uh, times I, I allow myself to be befuddled by confusion and allow myself to stay in that confusion. And when I'm not searching for light, when I'm not seeking after uh, Jesus Christ or righteousness, when I'm not being thoughtful about what I'm doing and when I'm just doing like stuff, when I'm just living, but not really for a reason or a purpose or I don't have a vision of my life, that brings darkness in my, to my life. Um, and then continuing on what brings light into my life and things I thought about here was faith, obedience, charity, and love. Um, but more specifically, when I have that vision in my life, when I'm seeking after Christ and when I'm very being conscientious of what I'm doing, that does fill my life with light and it fills my life with joy. And when I'm putting my priorities, play, when I place my priorities properly, when I'm doing that, that fills my life with light. And so that, those are the things I was thinking about. Why do you think the Savior chose to introduce himself as the light and life of the world? Well, to me, I think it's because when you have him as your, um, when, you, when you're following after his light and when you're seeking for his light, everything else seems to fall into place. I know that's certainly true for me. My perspectives, or excuse me, my priorities fall, they align perfectly um, because he's taught me how to do that. And as I seek forward, and seek past, even though there's mists of darkness to travel through to get there, similar to the vision that Lehi had, obviously, in Nephi, it, it, uh, as I continue to travel forward, even though I can't see the next step, and sometimes it feels like I get lost out there, as long as I can just find that light, it at least gives me a direction, and I know what I'm going toward is great, and it's, it's going to be, um, it's going to fill me with joy. I just have to continue traveling on. I also want to point out just a thought I had here, was that when, for the Nephites, when Christ was born, there were three days of light. But when he died, there were three days of darkness. Just an interesting parallel there to uh, two bookends of signs to his life that I just, I thought it was an interesting symbol. I think there's interesting symbolism there. But uh, yeah, truthfully, to me, he's the beacon that I look for that guides my way. He lights my path. And... Whenever I'm surrounded by grief and sorrow, he is always there. And I just have to, to be willing to reach out um, because he's there. He's right there with me. And so uh, with ending this chunk, it says, how has Jesus Christ been a light in your life? The next chunk, if I repent, the Savior will gather, protect, and heal me. How do you imagine the people felt after experiencing the destruction and darkness described in 3 Nephi 8? And I just think they felt awful. But as I stopped and thought further about it, though, um, I think we feel the same when we see similar destruction in our day, you know, like I'm thinking about these fires that are burning through California right now. And, and, uh, like, it's just sad when you see like destruction happening, you know, it's, uh, I just think it, it feels, it's a natural feeling. At least for me, it's this natural feeling of like, oh, it's sad to watch something be destroyed. And so I'm sure that relating to those, they probably naturally felt not only sad and horrible, but then also finding out that it was, you know, because of their sins and their abominations that led to that destruction, that probably wouldn't feel great on an accountability note. 
But it says, how do you think they may have felt when they heard the Savior's voice speaking about light, mercy, and redemption in chapters 9 and 10? Well, I'm sure that would have helped a lot. Uh, Going on, it says, even though the Savior proclaimed that the terrible destruction was a result of the people's sins, he promised that he would heal those who would return to him and repent. Elder Neil L. Anderson remarked, I am amazed at the Savior's encircling arms of mercy and love for the repentant. Uh, No matter how selfish the forsaken sin, I testify that the Savior is able and eager to forgive our sins. And I believe this to be true. And from what I've seen with friends and family, and I've seen this a lot, is that if we can't believe this, then we can't be healed. If we cannot believe that the Savior is able and eager to forgive our sins, then, I mean, that's Satan. That is Satan's trap right there. He wants us to doubt this. He wants us not to believe that we're worthy to be forgiven. Um, He wants us to believe that, you know, Christ forgives everyone else, but you, mm, not you. You're different. And that's not the case at all. And when we do that, we counterfeit the atonement. And I really want you to think about this because I feel like it's so easy for uh, for us to be able to turn to our friends who are going through a hard time and we can say, no, like, have faith. Like, Christ will be there for you. The Spirit's there for you. But then when it's in our own life, how hard is it to be like, to say the same things to ourselves? I know for me, that's where I struggle the most is is proving my testimony. I believe, like when I'm telling other people advice and stuff, I'm always trying to do it with that faith and use, use the gospel and the scriptures. But then when it's my own life, I'm like, well, maybe I'm different. Like maybe I, maybe I cannot be forgiven or maybe I, and that is counterfeiting the atonement. It's something, it's a trap that I try to stop myself from falling into because I know it comes from Satan. And I know that that's something he tries to use on me. And, uh, and I, because I know that I then try to counteract that and have faith and push forward in faith. And so I encourage the same for you. Like you got to believe and you have to believe it for yourself, not just for others, but for yourself. I think if missionaries were able to understand the atonement better, we would see an intense decrease in inactivity after missionaries get home. I really do. Because I think the biggest problem is that you go out for two years or 18 months and you're helping all these other people to come unto Christ. But you're telling it to everyone else and you forget to tell it to yourself and you forget to really like convert yourself to those beliefs that you've been sharing, you know? And then the moment you get home, Satan's right there. I mean, he's there on the mission, but he's definitely right there when you get home to to lead you out. So, <coughs> excuse me. Um, hopefully you don't hear too many coughs. For those newer listeners, you'll know that, or for the, those new listeners, you might not know that uh, I like to keep my podcast relatively edited free. I like it to be raw. I like it to be a raw discussion, just like in real life. You can't just edit discussions so similar to this podcast. I try not to edit as much as possible. Um, sometimes things happen, so I have to. So uh, the reason I'm bringing this up is if you hear a cough, I apologize, but just pretend it's because we're really right here face-to-face talking to each other, having a family room discussion. So continuing on, it says, Search Nephi, 3 Nephi 9 to 10 for evidence of Christ's mercy and his eagerness to forgive. For example, what do you find in 3 Nephi 9, 13 to 22 and 10, 1 to 6 that helps you feel the Savior's love and mercy? Ponder experiences you've had when you felt him gather and nourish you. Consider recording these experiences in a journal or sharing them with your loved ones. So I'm going to actually go through some of these scriptures that stuck out the most to me. The first is uh, chapter 9, verses 16 to 17. Um, and so I won't touch, I think, as much on of the why or like what helps me feel his love and mercy. But these scriptures did stick out to me regardless. And uh, 
So I'll, yeah, we'll go through. But in 16, 17, I came unto my own and my own received me not. And the scriptures concerning my coming are fulfilled. And as many as have received me to them, I have given to become the sons of God. And even so will I to as many as shall believe on my name. For behold, by me, redemption cometh and in me is the law of Moses fulfilled. Remember last week how we had talked about like there, there were saints that had received revelation. They were preaching that the law of Moses was fulfilled and they had to be correct and say, no, it's not. Well, now it is a week later in this new lesson. Obviously a lot of time has passed from now and then, but just interesting for, from our reading perspective that now, now Christ is saying it is. And it's important that the doctrine came uh, from him. The principle came from him. And so now we can truly make that change here. This was the moment that he, to the Nephite says, now the law of Moses is fulfilled. And I just think, for me, I love that we can have faith that he keeps his promises. Um, he says, I, you know, and in 16, it says, and the scriptures concerning my coming are fulfilled. Kept his promise for thousands and thousands of years. People had faith on this one event and he did it. And we can have faith in him because of it. In verse 20, and he shall offer us for a sacrifice unto me, a broken heart and a contrite spirit, which by the way, this would have been to me, I feel like very different. Like this would have been quite a drastic change here. They've been offering, and we don't talk about it in the Book of Mormon a lot because it doesn't mention it a ton, but they were still living the law of Moses. Therefore, there would have been animal sacrifices up to this point. And so um, just a drastic change in differences, obviously, in the latter days, we've never done animal sacrifice. Therefore, I don't think we think about it too much, but I think if tomorrow it was like, and now we're going to do animal sacrifice. I'd be like, whoa, whoa, that's a change, right? Like, I mean, this would have been a drastic change. Um, so I try and remember that in perspective. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit with him, I will baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost, even as the Lamanites, because of their faith in me at the time of their conversion, were baptized with fire and with the Holy Ghost, and they knew it not. And I have a question here, like a genuine question. If someone has the answer, please reach out to me. So how is that able to be done without the laying on of hands? Um, yeah, that's my question. Sounds like they received the Holy Ghost through their faith, uh, but it doesn't sound like it was by the laying on of hands. It just, because of their faith at the time of baptism, they also received the Holy Ghost who were baptized by fire at that time. Um, and not only that, they knew it not. So just, uh, there's interesting, I've, I tried to research some things here and I didn't get a, through my, you know, brief research, couldn't find a really definitive answer for myself. So if you know, uh, reach out to me, please. And then <clears throat> verse 22, therefore, whoso repenteth and cometh unto me as a little child, him will I receive for of such is the kingdom of God. Behold, for such I have laid down my life and have taken it up again. Therefore, repent and come unto my, ye, unto me, ye ends of the earth and be saved. And I can see this a lot now uh, more, the, the come as a little child, being a dad and um, with Flynn, when he does stuff wrong and uh, he gets disciplined for it and when it comes to apologize, it really is just the the most humble and sweetest thing. Like, I know that he's, like, he doesn't know, right? He's three. So it's not like he has this, like, deep well of wisdom. But he knows right from wrong, at least enough to know when he's in trouble and when he's not. And so when he comes to me, head bowed, puts his arms out for a hug, and says, I'm sorry. And it's usually like, like it, it's impossible for me as his dad, not to, to immediately hug him and say, I love you. And you know, let's not do it again. But 
that's how we need to approach our Father in Heaven. And I think as we get older, that becomes tougher. That's been the experience for me. It's it's tougher to, you know, you build up this wall around yourself. You have to. You protect yourself from the world, right? But But we shouldn't be creating those walls between us and our Heavenly Father. He knows us. He loves us. And He wants us to continue to be that that little child that we are to him. And we don't need to put on a face. We don't need to put on a show. And uh, and I think truly, we spend all our lives learning how to be adults. And we spend the rest of our lives learning to become little children. I'm, I'm young, so I have no idea if that's actually true. But I feel like <laughs> from all the wise people around me, that's what they've been telling me. And I believe it. The last one is in chapter 10, verse 6. O ye house of Israel, whom I have spared, how oft will I gather you as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, if you will repent and return unto me with full purpose of heart. And and that full purpose of heart, I think that's the key right there. We have to do it with full purpose of heart. We have to commit, commit to repentance, commit to change and commit to trying and keep doing it over and over and over again. We're not going to get perfect like in an event. This is, this is so vitally important to understand. Repentance is not an event. It is a process. Do, n- do not ever get discouraged if you have to keep repenting for the same thing over and over and over again. But instead, never stop trying and get like figure out why. What is it that's causing you to make the same mistakes over and over and over again? And, and, and I, I treat it all always like a science experiment kind of thing. I have a hypothesis. I go in. I test. Try different results to change my nature. Um, for instance, why am I such an impatient person? Because I am a very impatient person and, and I don't want to be, I want to be a very patient person. I, some of my great examples that surround me are just so incredibly patient and I want to be incredibly patient. Um, but I struggle with that. I, I deeply struggle with patience. And, uh, and so I learn from them and I watch them and I observe and then I, repent and seek for change and I continuously do it and in some ways I've gotten more patient in other ways I have a lot way a long ways to go but I mean that's the process and it is I have found joy through this process through this journey of repentance in the next chunk I can learn to hear and understand God's voice um and and I won't read all of them all the way through but I'll read this one so it says have you ever felt that you were that you were struggling to understand a message that God was communicating to you yes 100 (laughs) percent Like right now in my life, I feel like this is happening at this very moment Um, with just figuring out my life. Perhaps the experience of the people in 3 Nephi 11, 1 through 8 can help you understand some principles of hearing and understanding God's voice. You might note the characteristics of God's voice that the people heard and what they did to better understand it. How might this account apply to your efforts to hear and recognize the voice of God in your life through personal revelation? So to me, I think this can best be broken down in chapter 11, 3 to 5. And it came to pass that while they were thus conversing one with another, I'm going to pause, because I, that's a common pattern, is that um, when, I, when I feel the Spirit t- most often is when I am in motion, not pause, not waiting, but when I'm doing something about whatever it is, when I'm trying to figure things out, it's when I'm in motion. But also, um, I converse with those that I trust who have wisdom. So I feel like that's one pattern right there. They heard a voice as if it came out of heaven, and they cast their eyes round about, for they understood not the voice which they heard. And it was not a harsh voice, neither was it a loud voice. That's important. 
Nevertheless, and notwithstanding, it being a small voice, it did pierce them that did hear to the center. Insomuch that there was no part of their frame that it did not cause to quake. Yea, it did pierce them to the very soul and did cause their hearts to burn. Um, they, they heard something and they understood it not, but they felt something. And I feel like typically with, with revelation and, and the process of revelation, typically for me, I have not understood it like very clearly in my head, but I definitely feel something first and most more powerfully, like most potently. Right. And then I, my brain tries to unravel what it was or what it is. And I go through this process, right? Verse four, and it came to pass that again, they heard the voice and they understood it not. So once again, they hear it and they still don't understand. So, you know, obviously this is all in a short time, but well, we imagine it's in a short time, but regardless, still trying, they, they still hear, they feel something, they hear it, but they don't understand it. Um, but they're now they're, I'm assuming because of verse five, uh, but they're yearning for it. So in verse five, and again, the third time they did hear the voice and did open their ears to hear it and their eyes were towards the sound thereof. And they did look steadfastly towards heaven from whence the sound came. Uh, someone shared this example with me that typically, um, like you can't, you can't hear something if you're not looking directly at. And so, um, or you can't hear it perfectly, right? Like that's, that's how our ears work. And so, we need to change our focus. We need to shift. If we want revelation, we need to be able to shift our focus and our attention to the source of revelation. We need to remove distractions. We need to to get those things out of the way that are in interfering with our relationship with Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost. And if we do those things, and as we do those things, the revelation becomes crystal clear. And we'll and as we open our ears, as we do the work. As we put forward that process, and as we truly want to hear, which to me has always been the, the biggest struggle, because to want to hear means you have to sacrifice your will, sacrifice what you want, and you have to open up your ears and listen, knowing that if you hear and if you understand, it is expected of you to act on that. That is your responsibility to act on that revelation. And so that can be tough and that can be scary. But as we exercise faith, we will be able to hear, we will be able to understand, and we will receive that at Revelation and uh, have the experience, the same experience that that this group of Nephites and Lamanites uh, had. And so, um, yeah, that's all I want to say there, actually. The next chunk, uh, Jesus Christ invites me to gain a personal testimony of him. What I love here was it in halfway through, it says, what does... So it says, <coughs> excuse me, despite the large number, the Savior invited each one by one to feel the nail prints in his hands and feet. What does this suggest to you about the importance of having personal experiences that build faith in Jesus Christ? And uh, in verse 15, or yeah, in verse 15, it says, and it came to pass that the multitude went forth and thrust their hands into his side and did feel the prints of the nails in his hands and in his feet. And this they did, go they did do going forth one by one until they had all gone forth and did see with their eyes and did feel with their hands and did know of a surety and did bear record that it was he of whom it was written by the prophets that should come. Personal moments with Jesus Christ are incredibly important in our conversion. And, and if, and that is something that we personally have to be taken care of. 
No one can do it for us. Um, we have to be taking the steps forward. So moms, you can't do it for your kids. You can't. It's not going to happen. Um, dads and dads and moms both, right? You can't do it for your kids. And also for spouses, you can't do it for each other. Um, and for youth, quit expecting that as you go to youth activities that magically you'll get your testimony or whatever. If you are not putting forth the work, if you are not trying yourself, you'll never get that conversion. Now, everything else helps, obviously. You can, like, we know that we can have an influence in one another's lives, and we're supposed to have an influence in each other's lives for good. But at the end of the day, we have to have these personal moments with Jesus Christ or else our, our testimony and our conversion will not be, um, will not be sure enough for when the, the winds, as, as Helam in verse or chapter 5, 12, when everything's coming down on us, when 2020 keeps happening over and over again, it won't be enough to withstand the storms. And so these personal moments are what we need to be seeking after and we need to be having. We do that by studying the scriptures, getting on our knees and having actual prayers, not just prayers of, you know, what you think you should be saying, prayers of what you should be saying, meaning are you are you actually using the the spirit to help you pray? Something that I do um, <clears throat> to help me do this actually is is before I'll start some prayers, not all prayers, but some prayers, I will pray that I may have the Holy Ghost to guide my prayer so that I may know what to say. Those prayers are always more powerful than the ones that I don't do that. Um, they always are more meaningful. I always get more out of those prayers, and I always hear more from those prayers. Uh, but the process for me, I feel like one, it's a continuous process. Um, I remember, so from this, it asks, you know, from, for a time or whatever in your life where you, you like saw your relationship with Christ. Uh, there's been a ton of times I can think, like I can think of, I think the problem is a lot of them are so deeply personal and so deeply meaningful that it would be really tough to explain those situations, um, in a good way. I don't, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, but here's what I was thinking about on this. No, I should, I guess, was that, so in my experiences where I've had with Christ and, um, it, like it strengthened my testimony of him, obviously in my relationship, they were usually really tough times, like really, really hard times. And I turned to him and I relied on him and it was times where I couldn't rely on anyone else. Couldn't rely on my parents, couldn't rely on my sister, uh, couldn't rely like obviously in the last five years on my wife, uh, on anyone. I could not rely on anyone because it was a, a personal matter that no one else understood like I understood. And I had to turn to the Savior. I had no one else to turn to. Um, he was the only one that could help me. Those were hor horrible times when I think about like, yeah, would you like to go through that again? No, I would not. However, they are deeply meaningful and deeply personal times to me because he got me through them. And Elder Holland talks about how um, he, did, he, he gives, gives a talk that he gave at the, uh, the MTC years ago. He told the missionaries there at the time that you, your mission is like a, it'll be a really tough experience. There'll be days where you get down on your knees and you just plead with the Lord. I had that same experience. I know what he was talking about after I went through it. And uh, he said, when you have those times, remember that that is, that is you joining the Savior in Gethsemane. And obviously you won't experience everything 
that the Savior has felt. Um, because we, we, we can't. We couldn't go through all that he did. However, it'll be a token. We will feel it, and we will take a token from the garden of Gethsemane with us, something that will um, paint our lives, the rest of our lives, that we'll never forget. I've had many opportunities through my life that have been like that, where um, I've gotten to, to be with him for a short period of time in the garden, and it is because of those times that has cemented my faith. It keeps me going, even when I go through another time, and, uh, and we'll have a vulnerable moment right now. I'll tell you, I'm going through a time right now. Um, thankfully it's not like the worst time. <laughs> Sorry. It's not the worst time I've ever been through, but, um, I, uh, man, I just feel like I'm at a crossroads in my, my future right now where I just don't know what my life is supposed to look like. Um, I, I can't even explain necessarily what I'm going through. Like I said, it's one of those times where I don't know why I'm going through a tough time right now. Everything in my life seems pretty fantastic, honestly. And I, I mean, I know everyone's going through a tough time in their own right with uh, things are different this year. Uh, things have been really hard for a lot of people. This one's different. Um, internally, there is a battle commencing in my soul. I don't, I mean, Satan's been a part of it because he's like trying to you know, cause distractions or whatever. But mostly he's trying to, I have felt the most, um, I don't know what they are, like hindrances from Satan of trying to keep me from seeing that there's hope kind of thing, like that there's something further. This feels so vague, and I know. I, uh, I, I don't know. What I do know is this. Here's what I know. Um, the reason this has been so tough is internally there's a battle waging where I'm trying to figure out in my own life what the Lord wants me to be doing with my life. Um, back in February, I could not sleep because I was like, what, what does the Lord have for you to be doing on this earth at this time? And I, I didn't know. I had no idea. Um, and, I, and I guess I've still been trying to figure it out. Like, I feel like there's a, I feel like there's a something going back to that other chunk. Like, does it feel like the Lord is trying to tell you something you can't understand it? Yes. Yes, I do feel that. I feel like there was something he was trying to tell me and I've been trying to figure it out. And it's been months of trying to figure it out and seeking and searching and, and learning and, and it's been tough. It has been really tough for me um, because I am so impatient, <laughs> which I'll be completely honest. In the last month, I figured out, oh, yeah, I guess that's been something that's been helping me with patience, huh? Um, long story short, because like I said, it's so vague, I suppose. Through this experience that I'm going through that I can't even explain. I truly do not have words to explain it to people. And I've tried. I've tried to talk to my parents. I've obviously tried talking to my wife about it. Um, I just don't know how to explain it because it's a feeling. It's a feeling in my heart that it's like uh, you're not where you're supposed to be and you need to be somewhere else. But it's like, but so with what? What does that mean? I don't know what that means. And I'm seeking for what does that mean, right? And... Uh, and it's been, it's been a journey. It's been an experience. I've been hungering 
truly hungering. Like I understand now what it means to hunger and thirst for for revelation, for knowledge. Uh, it's been months, obviously, of figure, trying to get there, but like the longer it goes, the hungrier and thirstier I get for for needing to know. Like I have to know what message does the Lord have for me? What do I need to know? And and what can I be changing in my life to get there? Um, doing everything I can to figure it out. I am going to continue doing everything I can to figure it out. And I just want to bear testimony, though, that even though this trial that I've been going through, which I feel like is not even comparable to the trials that the people like the people that surround me are going through, um, this has brought me so close to the Savior. It has it has helped provide me um, a deeper relationship. He's been with me every step of the way. That and uh, it's been tough because <clears throat> you know he's right there. And then it's then it's like so then why can't I hear what you're saying? Why don't I understand? I don't get it. I know you're right there. I know you're with me. So what am I doing that's not keeping my ears open? I have complete faith that one of these episodes in the future, you will hear me and I will talk about how I finally figured it out. I have absolute faith in that because I know I'm on the path and I know I'm trying to figure it out. I just know right now, and I'm sharing this now. Um, I do, I'm I'm in the I'm in the tough part the tough part where I can't see past the fog I know that the light is beyond it because I can see it but I can't see past the fog or what I need to do and I just know that Christ is with me helping me out um but that is my testimony that we cannot give up and we can't doubt we can't allow in the dark times which I've been going through dark times and I I, I know that I know exactly what Satan's probably telling all of you when you go through dark times tries to make you doubt everything, doubt yourself, doubt your relationship with God, and make you feel like you're alone. And I can just promise you're not. Uh, and, and also, guess what? He used those very same temptations on Jesus Christ himself. So you're in good company, my friends. You're in good, you're in great company. But do not give up. That is where we lose. And that is uh, obviously the goal of Satan. So let's continue on. In uh, the next section, ideas for family scripture study and family home evening. I'm going to skip first chunk and go to second chunk. Um, talks about the the hen gathering her chicks, and and using that as a tool to like, how does the savior gather us and stuff? Well, I, so I don't. I've never actually seen a chicken gather her chicks under her. Like I can imagine it. I'm sure. I've, I've, I've heard of this a lot, but I've never seen it myself. However, I was watching a documentary about Yellowstone National Park a couple of weeks ago, and showed this um, mama buffalo having a baby buffalo, and I guess in Yellowstone, I've never been to Yellowstone, I need to go, but I guess there are wolves in Yellowstone National Park, and they go after baby buffalo that get separated from their mamas, and in this documentary, it showed this baby buffalo get separated, and these wolves started coming after this, uh, and, and this mama buffalo was like supposed to be miles away, according to the documentary. They did a little editing, cheaty, cheaty, because they made it like, oh, this baby buffalo's gone, and then um, it shows the baby buffalo, the wolf starts, or a wolf, I suppose, is like, finds it, goes to, to get it, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, mama buffalo comes charging and, like, launches this wolf and gets it away and then gets baby buffalo back with it. And the whole thing, obviously, is survival is, like, the baby buffalo stay close to mama buffalo and the mama buffaloes stay close with the whole herd to keep the baby safe. 
and it's only when they're separated that the wolves come and, and get them. So I feel like that's the same, obviously. It's, it's just, you get it, and I get it. It's the same imagery. And I think, you know, like Christ gathers us. And as we're gathered in Christ, we're safe. But as we're separated, and I think we've seen this especially through not being able to to be at church each week altogether, but as we continue to gather, um, we are safe. As we gather as families, we're safe. As we gather as groups of families, we are safe. It is when we are alone that we are not as safe and we are <laughs> kind of left up to our own, right? So gather together. That's what I get from that is, is stick together, stay together, and, and strengthen your groups. We all got to become strong, so let's make sure that the weakest member is as strong as the strongest member. And the next chunk, 3 Nephi 11, 1 through 7. Uh, perhaps you could read some of these verses in a soft, small voice. What do the people have to do to understand the voice from heaven? What do we learn from their experience? So um, really, I just, to, to me, I think that what I got is like listening has to come from within. It's not like necessarily the physical listening part. It's from the internal. Are you able to clear away the distractions happening inside your soul to listen is what's important. And then um, the next chunk, it talks about, you know, baptism and, and those things. However, I'm going to read, actually, we're going to read a good grouping of scriptures real quick that I felt like was the most important from all of this. And, uh, We'll start the grouping in verse 28, where it says, And according as I have commanded you, thus you thus shall ye be ye baptized, and there shall be no disputations among you, and there have hither, as there have hitherto been, neither shall there be disputations among you concerning the points of my doctrine, as there have hitherto been. If we understand the doctrine, it helps remove disputations, all right? So it's important for all of us to understand the doctrine. And also, I feel like it's very important to know where to point to that doctrine. Speaking of doctrine, we're going to read it. Uh, chapter 11, 31 to 40. Actually, we're not going to read it. But I encourage you to read 31 to 40. And then you will understand where to find the doctrine. It's very clear here. Uh, Christ says specifically, this is my doctrine multiple times. Could not make it easier for us to find it. And so as, as we understand this doctrine perfectly, and as we know how to tell, help people get there, um, that's a key for us especially in this last days where things can be quite confusing. Uh, the, and the final chunk <clears throat> says, what do these verses teach us about a contention? In verse 29, it says, uh, chapter 11, verse 29, it says, For verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hath the spirit of contention is not of me, but is of the devil, who is the father of contention, and he stirreth up the hearts of men to contend with anger one with another. So if you are finding yourself in contention, remember that then you have not, you're like, the devil is the father of contention. Therefore, you can't be on Christ's side if you're contending. There is a clear line when something goes from a nice discussion to contention. Um, it's typically what I have noticed is when we stop communicating uh, on both sides to be understood and to help others understand. And instead, it turns to who is right. When it becomes who is right... That, to me, has been when things come at a point of contention, and it's no longer of, of Christ. So we, and we need to be important, especially with social media. We've all seen it. I know you've all seen it. Um, social media has been a place of great contention, and I know 
I, I have felt the temptations to enter into such contention on social media or it, just in conversations in general. And I have to avoid those because I do not want to find myself on the wrong side here. of uh, And that's God's side. Don't want to find myself not on God's side, obviously. So I love this, this uh, last improving personal study. Elder Richard G. Scott said, Knowledge carefully recorded is knowledge available in time of need. Recording spiritual impressions enhances the likely the likelihood of your receiving further light. They have continually said that. So at this point, if you don't get that message, like, I don't know what else to say. Start recording your 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 impressions, all right? If you want revelation, start recording them. I got some uh, verses that I want to go through. I'll do it quickly, and we will wrap up. Chapter 8, verse 1. And now it came to pass that according to our record, and we know our record to be to be true, for behold, it was a just man who did keep the record, for he truly did many miracles in the name of Jesus. There was not any man who could do a miracle in the name of Jesus, save he were cleansed every whit from his iniquity. That is a key right there for performing miracles. You want to perform perform them? Then be clean every whit. Verse 20, And it came to pass that there was the thick darkness upon all the face of the land, insomuch that the inhabitants thereof who had not fallen could feel the vapor of darkness. Like, what kind of darkness is that we're talking where you could feel it? That's, that's, uh, that's some deep darkness right there. 24 and 25, and in one place, <clears throat> they heard they were heard to cry, saying, Oh, that we had repented before this great and terrible day. Then would our brethren have been spared, and they would not have been burdened. That great city Zarahemla, and in another place, they were heard to cry and mourn, saying, Oh, that we had repented before this great and terrible day, and not killed and stoned the prophets and cast them out. Then would our mothers and our fair daughters and our children have been spared, and not have been buried up in the great city Moroniha. And thus were the howlings of the people great and terrible. Let's not have that be us, all right? I don't want to have all those, you know, regrets. And uh, I don't want you to have those regrets either. So let's make sure that that's not us by staying on the Lord's side. Chapter 9, verse 2. Woe, woe, woe unto this people. Woe unto the inhabitants of the whole earth, except they shall repent. For the devil laugheth, and his angels rejoice because of the slain of their fair sons and daughters of my people. And it is because of their iniquity and abominations that they are fallen. Satan is not your friend. And he's, he's none of our friends, all right? He laughs at our misery. So... In those temptations, those times where you feel the temptation and uh, Satan's acting like he's your buddy, he's not. Remember that. He is not your friend. He is not your buddy. Chapter 10, verse 9. And it came to pass that thus did the three days pass away. I'm going to stop there. The verse goes on, but I just want to say that is a really long time. Like you think about the three days of straight darkness is a long time. And I can't even imagine um, how that would have been. Just three days sitting in the dark. Just, man, would have been miserable. Chapter 10, verse 16. Yea, the prophet Zenus did testify of these things, and also Zenus spake concerning these things, because they testified particularly concerning us, who are the remnant of their seed. I have wondered throughout the scriptures I've been reading, because you hear about Zenus and Zenic a lot, and I'm like, why were these two prophets so significant in the book? Like in the Book of Mormon, obviously we don't have them in the Bible, but as you as you click on those um, those links or whatever, or you see it says uh, lost prophets or or missing scriptures or whatnot. Um, so we know that they were removed. Now I understand not only why they were important to the Book of Mormon people, because it says they particularly testified concerning us, but also why they were removed, because then it would prove that there was another people on a different uh, continent, and they would end up actually proving the Book of Mormon. It makes total sense why Satan would want that removed from the Bible, because uh, then there wouldn't be so much discussion on whether the Book of Mormon is true or not. In chapter 8, verse 9, <clears throat> And the city of Moroni did, Moroni did sink into the depths of the sea, Atlantis. Don't want to make light of it, but that's Atlantis. I've always thought that. <laughs> and in verse eight, sixteen, in chapter 8, verse 16, And there were some who were carried away in the whirlwind. That's Kansas. Um, 
yeah, I just, I think of Dorothy every time and I, I probably shouldn't, but I do. Chapter 10, verse 2. For so great was the astonishment of the people that they did cease lamenting and howling for the loss of their kindred which had been slain. Therefore, there was silence in all the land for the space of many hours. There were no ADD people there. If there was silence for that long, let me tell you, if you've ever been in a, uh, in a like, if you've ever been around my family, I'm, I'm talking my whole family, you would know there is no possible way. There could be silence for even 10 minutes. So that's how I know there were no ADD people there. Thank you for joining me in this family room discussion, and please share your ideas, questions, and insights that you gained from 3rd Nephi chapters 8 through 11 with me. Until we meet again, have a blessed week.